please take your seats this morning. Thank you, worship team. Hey, great to see you in church this morning on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. It's always a mixed day of emotions, I find. Uh, For some of you, there is the joy of becoming new dads. Uh, For some of you, there's the joy of getting together with your uh, dad with your family and loved ones, but for others, it's, it's a tough time. Uh, I couldn't help but think of uh, Sam and Princey Philip this morning who have both lost their dads in just a very short space of time. I couldn't help thinking of Liz and your family today. Uh, it's a tough day for some people. I couldn't help but think of my good friend from Fusion, Matt McGaw, uh, who lost his dad just this week. And, uh, and so it's a tough day, but there's one thing that all of us, no matter what our experience is, there's one thing that we can all hold on to, and that is the perfection of Father God, the perfection of our Abba Father. And uh, so I just want to encourage you today that no matter what this day holds or what this day brings, that we can rejoice in a Father God who loves us, loves us intimately. Amen? Amen. Hey, for all the dads today, I couldn't think of anything better. We were thinking about gifts and a little gift that we could give you as you head on your way today. And fathers, today when you leave, there will be an iced coffee for you. <laughs> to me, that's heaven. <laughs> I've already put in my order that when I get to heaven, provided I make it, uh, yes, I will. But when I get to heaven... I'm going to have a fountain at the front that just flows with Farmer's Union iced coffee. It's going to be awesome. Don't know what God has to say about that, but uh, happy Father's Day. Some people have asked, by the way, about the Gulwan Golgan project that's happening. Have we heard anything? We had a meeting this week with, uh, we had the city town planner come in, we had architects, engineers, we had Betty who runs the Guggenholm Centre uh, and there was myself and Pastor Rodney and three of the board members uh, were there and we had a really good meeting and the meeting basically was um, uh, about saying, okay, you, this plan was tried to push through um, and there wasn't the consultative process that we expected between us and Guggenholm and the architects and so on. And so the town planner, the city planner, she was fantastic. Uh, she, she brought the whole thing together. And I've got to tell you that our relationship with the Guggenholm people and Betty has never been better. Um, because she was saying the exact things we were saying. We were saying, hey, listen, why didn't this process take place? Why couldn't we all get together and do something that's mutually beneficial for everyone? Um, And then it actually opened up their eyes to perhaps even doing something totally different uh, in regards to that car park area. Um, There was even talk that perhaps around the back on the land, uh, there could be something, there could be all sorts of things that could come about because we talked openly and honestly and everyone had their say and so it was really really great it was it was good you know, you know what was meant the most to me it wasn't so much about a car park but it was about our relationship with the people at Gulwangolgan because we have a heart for the indigenous and uh, and so that was wonderful so we'll keep you posted there's another meeting in a couple of weeks time to discuss uh, further things about that so we'll keep letting you know about that <clears throat> 
When the uh, invasion of Ukraine started, a survey conducted by many of uh, the citizens of Ukraine reported this. They found out this uh, piece of information that 78% of men surveyed and 59% of women were willing to put up armed resistance. Uh, I think those figures are pretty amazing. 78% of men, 59% of women were willing to stay and put up armed uh, resistance in their country. So inspired by this, that stalwart patriotism, the Institute of Public Affairs in Australia, in consultation with the analysis group uh, Dinata or Dinata, conducted a survey and they asked this question of Aussies. Some of you may have heard of this report recently. They asked this simple question of Aussies. If Australia was in the same position as Ukraine is now, would you stay and fight or leave the country? Interesting question. The results came in as such that that typical conscription type age of 18 to 24 32% would stay and fight. Uh, If you consider the slightly older age bracket, that among what you would consider the parental age, it was slightly higher. It was 35% would stay and fight. I found that rather interesting. The point is this, is that somewhere along the way, In our country, somewhere along the way, many Aussies have lost that will to fight. That stereotypical, perhaps, that historical notion of the Aussie keen for a scrap. The Aussie keen to get involved, to fight for the underdog. That Aussie who will fight for a worthy cause, it seems, is in major decline. Now, by fight, I'm, I'm not talking this morning about that kind of physical scrap that you might have in the schoolyard playground because of a disagreement or because of anger. That kind of fight shows immaturity and, and it shows a, a lack of self-control. I'm not talking about that kind of fight. The kind of fight I want to talk about this morning is this, the determination to stand for what is right, the determination to oppose, to be steadfast in your conviction so much that it leads you to action, to not give in to injustice, to push through obstacles and pressures for the sake of others. This morning, I want to talk to you about being called to fight. And in particular, the focus with dads being called to fight. You know, in the past few years, I've seen fathers in flight trying to escape everything, trying to escape their responsibilities. I've seen fathers in fright just living in fear and living in anxiety. But we need fathers who fight who are ready to stand, ready to act for a righteous cause. And so I just want to share a couple of simple thoughts 
with you this morning. The first is this, dads, we are called to fight. We are called to fight. There's something of the fight that God requires of us and has placed within us. I genuinely believe this, that something has been God formed in our psyche to fight for a righteous cause. And somewhere along the line, we've, we've, we've sort of lost that. I see this principle throughout the Word of God. Jacob wrestled, fought with the angel of the Lord for a blessing. Interesting, that angel of the Lord is, is, is a, a picture of Christ. Some say it was an epiphany, an appearance of Christ. The angel of the Lord, and here is Jacob wrestling. Now, let me tell you, I think the angel of the Lord could have done Jacob pretty easily. He could have sorted him out pretty easily, but there seems to be this acknowledgement, this understanding of this guy needs to learn to fight. This guy needs to be involved in the wrestle, in the battle. We read that Joshua took the children of Israel into the promised land. And the first thing they had to do was fight the battle of Jericho. It's interesting, they entered into the promised land and yet we read that they still had to conquer 31 kings and their tribes and their nations. They entered the promise, but they still had to fight. A lot of people think the promise is all going to be sitting around, sipping non-alcoholic pina coladas. Just enjoying life, tiptoeing through the tulips. But friends, the promise still comes with a fight. Still comes with a fight. David had to fight a giant to gain victory for his nation. Listen to what he says later on in Psalm 144.1. He says this, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Who trains him? Not the coach, not Rocky. Who trains him? The Lord, his rock, trains his hands for war. God who trains him in the fight. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 26. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. What's he saying there? He's saying... Listen, this race that we are in, it's not like shadow boxing. It's not like just putting up a, a, a vain effort to look like something. It's a real fight so that I don't fight beating the air. This is a real deal fight, he is saying. Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We fight. It's a pity that some people have just translated that scripture as, for we wrestle not. Full stop. 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul says this to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I want you to notice something. It's a good fight. 
I think sometimes this whole notion of passivity, being passive, puts away the fact that there are certain fights that we need to fight for and there are certain fights that are good fights. And we need to understand that. 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul getting to the end of his journey. He says these beautiful words. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. What a great statement. I've fought the good fight. I've finished it. You know what it says to me? It says that the fight doesn't stop until the race is finished. There's always going to be a fight. We're called to fight. Well, Pastor John, I, I sort of get that. But listen, I read of Jesus. He was a peacemaker. He was a peacemaker. He was the Prince of Peace. So I believe that we should be peacemakers too. And yes, he was a peacemaker. Yes, he was the Prince of Peace. But let me tell you, he was the Prince of Peace with gloves on. I read that he fought the enemy and he fought hell and the demons and he overcame and he won the battle and he conquered death and he conquered sin and he conquered the grave he fought i i remember that passage where jesus goes into the temple and he cleans out the whole temple of the money changers and the money lenders and everything that's going on there and it said afterwards the disciples remembered when they were reflecting on what jesus did then zeal for god's house has consumed me zeal the fight the standing for God's house has consumed him I truly believe that we as children of God can't understand our authority until we exercise it and we can't understand our authority as children of God until we have to fight for something until we have to fight for something. So my first point this morning is simply this, dads, not just dads, but all of us, all of us who are sincere followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to fight, the good fight. So what do we fight for? What do we fight for? I want to open up a few verses from one of my favourite books in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. Love this book, love this story. Just to give you a little bit of context, Nehemiah has returned to Jerusalem with some of the king's resources to help build the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, which lies in ruins. And so he goes there, he has a look around and he gathers the people together and says, come on, let's build. Let's build Jerusalem. Let's rebuild this city for the glory of God. And people come on board and they're enthusiastic. Come on, yeah, let's, let's build this for the glory of God. And they start out enthusiastically, but then opposition rises. And let's read Nehemiah's words that he wrote himself. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 10 to 15. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will, never to be able, we will never be able to build the walls by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and we'll kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they'll come from all directions and attack us. 
So I place armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I station the people to stand guard by their families, armed with swords, spears and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. I love that. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. What a great passage. Nehemiah, in this passage, he tells us to fight for a number of things. I just want to talk about two things very quickly. The first is this, to fight for our faith. To fight for our faith. He says, before everything else, he says, remember the Lord who is great and glorious. We sang it this morning, how great is our God. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Before everything else, remember the Lord. He is the one that we put our trust in. He has to be first. He has to be the priority. Before we attempt anything, just remember who he is. Why does Nehemiah encourage us to do this first? Because I believe that if we lose the fight of faith, we'll lose everything else. Dads, I want to speak to dads this morning. If you lose the fight of faith, if you lose your relationship and drift away from your relationship with God, your source of strength and your source of wisdom, it it, it becomes depleted. Your moral and ethical compass becomes compromised. Your right perspective becomes slightly confused. Your godly influence on on those around you, it becomes limited. Your life processes become more worldly wise than spirit inspired. Your vision becomes narrower and perhaps a little more self-centered. Your belief system gets swayed by whatever sounds good and reasonable to you at the time. Paul talks about this says, not allowing us to be swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes our way, but remaining steadfast, remaining steadfast. Fight for your faith. We need to have a point of reference in our life that we always return to. And it says, no matter what I face, No matter what I'm going through, no matter what happens in life, I build my life upon this, that God is good, God is just, he is worthy of praise and my allegiance. I've been reading a great book by Craig Groeschel, talking about rewiring your mind. And it talks about the fact that we actually build these ruts into the way we think And we follow those ruts, we follow those thought patterns and the longer we follow those thought patterns, the more entrenched it becomes in our life. But the good news is is that we we can build new ruts, 
We can build new ways of thinking. Well, I believe that one of those ways of thinking, one of those ruts that we need to build into our life that is a continuum no matter what we face is that God is good. God is just. God is worthy of my praise. God is worthy of my allegiance no matter what we face. You don't dismiss a relationship with God because things got tough. That's when you need him the most. You don't throw a relationship with God out the window because your plans haven't gone the way you expected them to. You don't end your relationship with God because you're disappointed that the idol you've been pursuing has come crashing down. You don't get rid of your relationship with God because you lost your job. Or someone said something particularly nasty or there was some problem in a relationship or you did, you, you caught COVID. You don't throw your relationship out. You remember the Lord who is great and glorious and you fight for faith. You fight for faith. The second thing Nehemiah points out there is he says, you fight for your family. You fight for your family. He goes on and says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives. Many years ago, a wise person said this to me. He said, what you endure, your kids will enjoy. What you allow the next generation will enjoy. What, what do we mean by that? In other words, your compromise of something will become their total acceptance. Your lack of discipline in something will become their licence to indulge. Your infatuation will become their idolatry. Wow. You ever wondered why society seems to be getting worse and worse and worse? That it's devolution rather than evolution. <laughs> but the good news is this. Is that this is also very true. What you identify, your kids will exemplify. What you identify with, your kids will exemplify. So your passion for God will become their zeal for God. Your words of encouragement will become their platform for success. Your positive example of behaviour will become their model of right living. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, I don't see that at the moment in my family. Well, this is what the Word of God says in Proverbs 22.6. Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and as he is old, he will not depart from it. So you may not be seeing it now. But we will see it. We will see it. Some of you need to claim that by faith. We will see it. In the next generation, the generations to come, we will see the goodness of God. We need to fight for our family. Proverbs 13.22 says this. A good man leaves an inheritance, not just to his children, but to his children's children. His grandkids. 
I love that. We are already storing up an inheritance for our children's children. All sorts of bluey books. And <laughs> a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. You know, there are other inheritances than just money and possession. We often get fixated in this material world on money and possession. And it's a good thing to have that for the next generations. But there's other inheritances. What about uh, the inheritance of godly wisdom? What about the inheritance of building your life on the principles of God's word and seeing how that works? What about finding contentment and joy in the simple things? Paul said, no matter what, I've learned to be content. That's a great inheritance to learn. What about prioritizing a relationship with Jesus for all of your days and seeing what happens? We have some good friends in Adelaide. And many, this is going back many years ago now, they were able to save up and he was able to buy a business. And the business was going incredibly well. And he brought on someone to assist him. Uh, long story short, this guy ripped him off and he lost everything. Lost his house. They had to sell their house and they had to go into a, a cheaper rental to make ends meet and he had to go out and find a job. Now, Edie was talking to his wife one day and this is what she said. She said, we may not have an inheritance of wealth to give our kids. They had four kids. We may not have an inheritance of wealth to give them but the inheritance we can give them is knowing that when you follow Jesus, there's life, there's joy, there's laughter, and there's blessing in it all. That's a great inheritance. Amen. Amen. One of my heroes, I read lots of his stories, as in uh, the biography or autobiography of this great man, David Livingston, when I was younger an amazing man I've heard I've actually been to Westminster Abbey and I've knelt down in it's, it's on the first floor there right as you come in there's the tombstone the memorial to David Livingston I've actually knelt down put my hand on that it's just something I always felt to do amazing guy he transversed South Africa east to west he went from Kilimani in Mozambique. I've also had the privilege of going there uh, to Lianti. He explored at least three river systems, including the Zambezi. He's attributed to having found the source of the Nile River. He discovered the Victoria Falls. He also discovered, people may not know this, that quinine was a ward against malaria. And so when you take those little quinine tablets, when you go overseas to those countries that, where you could contract malaria, it's David Livingston who discovered that. Something else you may not know, he sailed. He sailed from Africa to Bombay, India in a little riverboat 
called the Lady Nyasa with just a few native helpers. Amazing. He wrote two books that sold over 60,000 copies. Now, going back then, that's like millions today. He drew up accurate maps of Africa's interior that provided the basis for further exploration. He was a member of the Royal Geographic Society. His list of accomplishments go on and on and on and on. An amazing guy. But the story is that in his journeys, he arrived at a place called Shipanga on the Zambezi River. And he had dragged his dear wife Mary through some of the most harsh places in the world. Deserts, forests, jungles. And when they arrived at Shipanga... Physically exhausted, Mary's heart gave out and she died. David Livingston was totally riddled with guilt because he recognised that he had pushed her too hard. He recognised that he had neglected her needs, the needs of his wife. And he started thinking about his family, his kids left back in England. And so he sent a telegram for his oldest son, Robert. Please come out. Your mother has passed away. Please come out and meet me at Cape Town so that you can continue on with me. Robert came out, landed in Cape Town, but then Robert had a thought. He thought, my dad has given his whole life to his adventure. It's time I started an adventure of my own. And so Robert left Cape Town and caught a boat to the United States. There he enlisted in the Union Army, went into the Civil War. He was wounded, captured and died in a Confederate prison camp. See, Livingston, he fought the elements. He fought adversity, hardship. He fought against slavery. He fought the topography of uh, the harsh land. He fought sickness. He fought disease. He fought the fear of the unknown. He fought so many things, uh, but he didn't fight for his family. We need to be people who fight for our family, who fight for our family. So how do we fight Ephesians 6 tells us that we put on the whole armour of God when we fight. Now men, the ladies tell me that there's nothing more handsome than a man in uniform. Put on the whole armour of God. Put on the whole armour of of God, we put on the belt of truth as we seek to live with integrity, standing for what is right. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, which protects our heart, allowing the righteousness of Christ to keep us soft and pliable and teachable. 
put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. So that everywhere we go, we, we try to imitate Jesus. We share his good news in our words and in our deeds. We put on the shield of faith. We stand in faith against the enemy. And we declare protection for our friends and our family, our loved ones. We link up shields with those around us to create a shield wall of faith. We put on the helmet of salvation. We protect our thought life, renewing our mind by meditating on the Word of God. We wield the sword of the Spirit. We learn how to use that Word of God with the guidance and the revelation of the Holy Spirit as He unlocks things to us and understanding to us through His Word. That's often where people finish when they talk about the whole armour of God. But I believe there's one more step that they miss. It's the next verse. You build the stamina of prayer. You build the stamina of prayer. You fervently and you regularly pray. Dads, you are called to intercede for your family. We pray. We pray. Because we are called to fight. Amen. Let's close our eyes this morning. Maybe dads here this morning, not just dads, maybe anyone. And you've just felt challenged this morning to be a greater example of Jesus. Maybe people here this morning and you may have never accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour of your life. And you felt a stirring in your heart this morning says, yeah, I need to accept Jesus. I need to accept him as Lord and Saviour of my life. If that's you this morning, while no one's looking around, can I just encourage you to do one simple thing? Just raise your hand. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down again. And then we will pray a prayer together as a church, inviting Jesus to be Lord and Saviour of your life. Is there anyone? says, yeah, that's me. Wants to accept Jesus today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I believe there might be dads here today and you have been challenged to take up the fight again. I believe there might be some dads here and there's been certain things that over the past season of time, it's like you've just given up on those things. There was a time when you fought hard. There was a time when you stood for. There was a time when you interceded on behalf of. But just over this last season of time, you've allowed that to drift away. You think, well, I don't know whether that'll ever happen. But God is challenging you today to once again take up the fight. To take up the fight. If that's you this morning, and ask you to just raise your hand. I'll acknowledge it and we're going to pray together. Is there anyone that says, yeah, I'm being challenged to take up the fight again for some of those things I've let go of? Why don't you raise your hand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yes. 
Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for those who have raised their hand and said, yep, I've been challenged today to take up the fight once again for some things that I've just allowed to drift away. Because as a dad, I'm going to intercede. As a father, I'm going to stand for. I'm going I'm to fight the good fight of faith. I'm not just going to accept, but I'm going to stand for righteousness. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.